So continuing on with just discussion topics off the documentary, Lord let Lord save us from your followers. Um, I want to talk about there is a segment called Franken Christ in the documentary. Um, for, Matt, can you explain what Frankenstein the, the the cartoon was depicting about Christians? Yeah, it was an interesting in-your-face analogy. It was trying to explain what the concept of the, the body of Christ means and attempting to explain it to someone that maybe isn't familiar with the language. And most Christians will be somewhat familiar with the language because it was an analogy that Jesus used and that many of the New Testament writers picked up on that the, the church is now the physical presence of Jesus Christ in this earth. And so it was effectively his body to do what he to continue to do what he began to do when he was here on this earth. And so just like a body, it's made up of various parts that each have a specific function. Um, the church as a whole is made up of different kinds of churches, different denominations, different groups that all have a specific function, a specific outreach, specific emphasis in the church. And then even within one congregation, you can see how the various members of the congregation each bring their unique abilities and skills together to accomplish something greater that they could individually. And um, that's, that's what a Christian would draw from that imagery of the body of Christ, that we're a bunch of different parts that work together as a whole and can accomplish um, the, the, the ministry assignment that Jesus gave us. And so what was the Frankenchrist? What was the, why was it associated with Frankenstein? Well, in the, the story of Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein builds a body out of spare parts. Um, and it's, in a, it, it, it's something of a genuine attempt to recreate life, you know, to, to do something great, figure out the spark of life. But of course, the, the monster that he creates is, is a hideous specimen sewn together from old body parts. And the people reject the attempt at life and, and, and are scared and terrified of the monster. And in the movie, they may, do make a connection between the body of Christ and Frankenstein's monster and that it's not working as a harmonious unit. It's not working as a glorious body, but to an outsider has more of the fractious appearance of something that's just stitched together with disparate parts that don't really work in conjunction and all it ends up doing is is scaring off the very people that it's trying to reach out to. And I even remember Rick Warren in the movie is quoted as saying, we're supposed to be the body of Christ, but for many years we've acted as if our hands and feet have been amputated and all we've been is just a big mouth. And in conjunction, I think it's ex those two things that... That image of the Franken Christ combined with Rick Warren's statement kind of are pointing towards what the producer of this movie is getting at, that the, the church is not fulfilling its commission as the body of Christ, and its loud vocal um, outcry against culture may in fact be hurting its image and alienating the people that it's trying to reach, and in that sense doing more harm than good. I don't think that every Christian watching it will agree with that. Right. And it's a rather, it's a rather in-your-face example. Um, but I think that, like with all of these things, there is some truth to that. Do you think... I think the analogy is more for what the non-Christians think than what Christians think, right? The Franken-Christ, yeah. It's a perception, yeah, of what... <laughs> Yeah, of how a non-Christian reacts to the, to the message of the church, which is viewed as judgmental, hypocritical, um, etc., etc. Um, more for what it stands against and what it doesn't like than what it actually stands for. And that is, that is something that drives people away from the church, that, that idea that all the church is is a bunch of people yelling about stuff that they don't like. Yeah. Do you identify with this cartoon, or does it do you, does it upset you, or find it do you find it disturbing, or do you find it accurate? I, I find it accurate, especially in light of or it could be both. You know the the amputee part of it. You know if you know if the 
if the metaphor of a body is supposed to be a picture of Jesus Christ in the earth today, then it it takes more than talking, it takes walking, you know, it takes serving. And I don't know, I, I've sensed and seen a trend of churches wanting to serve, getting involved in their communities, reaching out, being the hands of Jesus Christ. Uh, unfortunately, with the news cycle, there's not really a news cycle anymore. It's a continuous news, you know. Mm-hmm. It's uh, noise. It's a continuous news noise rather than a news cycle. <clears throat> and so there's always some soundbite or something that's being talked about. And and so unfortunately that's going to amplify and accentuate the whole idea of, the you know, we've lost our hands and feet and instead we've just become a big, a big mouth. Uh, but that's not everywhere. And that's not everybody. I know that in the hearts of people, and I think it's God in the earth today, turning his people back to serving, loving and serving. I know <clears throat> it's the theme. <clears throat> those are the, you know, talking points. So those are, that's the theme. That's the ethos of our church. But I know there's a lot of other churches that are headed that way too. They're saying, let's, let's go back to just loving people and serving people and let God change them from the inside out. So, you know, unfortunately the Frank and Christ is out there, but I'm very optimistic and hopeful that things are changing. Yeah. And it's hard too, like you said, the media and news and whatnot can represent the church, whether we want them to or not. Um, and so it's hard to make a change in society of what your perception is. Cause the Frankenchrist is all about what the non-Christian sees as the church. And um, the media can control their views at a certain point. I'm not saying and that that's no way puts blame entirely upon the media <laughs> by, yeah. by any means. Usually it's something the church did, but they, you could do a hundred rights and they're going to report on the one wrong. Um, well, and the media is just an outlet for for the culture too, in that yeah. sense. Whatever is is being spoken of there is going to come out through the media. And spun. Usually spun. Spun, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Do you... Do you believe the gospel of love has generally speaking been turned into the gospel of being right by American Christians? Which is kind of in line with what you're talking about. I think there is a problem. And I think that before we wage the culture wars against our enemies that try to undermine Christianity, remove it from the public sector and all of that, before you pass judgment upon that, isn't, aren't we supposed to deal with the, with the issues that we have first, remove the plank from our own eye before we criticize somebody else? In that sense, we have to be honest and say, what has the church stood for in our modern Western society. And I I would be honest enough to say it stood for things that it opposes. (laughs) It stood against certain behaviors. It stood against lifestyles. And, And while you could argue the justification for that is there biblically, the problem is, is that we don't want to be identified by what we stand against. We want to be known it, Jesus Christ said it was it was for your love for one another that you would be known, and so we we need to recapture that part of of being recognized for what we do, not for what we say. And that's the only way to change the public perception, I believe, is to stop talking and start doing more. And it will take time, but we won't. You won't be judged harshly when you go out of your way to help somebody else. There's there's nothing, there's no law against that, and there's no criticism that someone could level against you because you lay down your life for, for somebody else. You know, so if we start to get known for what we do, not for what we say, then we can, 
we can change perception enough that we can recapture the, the heart of God and the, the, the spirit of, of Christ that can pierce, penetrate the hearts of those that need it and can bring them into the kingdom. Yeah. I think the reason that's so hard too is because as born again Christians, we're still fighting our old sin nature. You know, we fight it every day and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, to take that illustration of the body of Christ in the earth today, you know, our sin nature, do we, do we want to be right? Or do we want, you know, I, I'm just thinking if you take it back to like, if you're married or in a relationship, you know, the old adage, well, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? You know, so and our, our sin nature is so, geared towards self-preservation, you know, yeah. and that we just, we just, we want to be right. Our sin nature is always, I want to be right, you know, and, and so we've got that going against us. And I think if we're going to reach other people, if we're going to be missional in our approach to life, it's going to take us breaking down who we are so that Jesus Christ really can emulate his life through us. And I think that that's where a lot of the problems have come because people are talking about walking with the Lord and being Christians, but yet their lives don't necessarily uh, display that. And then when we get out into the public forum, then we're arguing to be right. And, you know, it's like, I think we, I know that in my relationships that are close to me, I don't always have to be right. And sometimes I just need to surrender and it doesn't matter, you know, because it's the relationship that's important. And what if the body of Christ returned to the gospel of love and wasn't always trying to be, we have to be right on the issue of abortion or gays or, I mean, pick any of the hot topics, you know. It's like, what if instead of just trying to be right about them, we just began to show love, acceptance and forgiveness and... exactly. You know, and I think that's that's part of what the the documentary is trying to jar our thinking. You know, right? There is a lesson from history too that whenever the church has become strong and powerful in its culture, it has weakened itself over the time by trying to enforce those rules and regulations. And I'm not just talking about America here. I'm saying, you know, when the, when the church ruled the Roman empire, it weakened itself by enforcing Christian values. And that may seem like that shouldn't happen, but it's really quite logical in that you cannot legislate people's salvation and you cannot uh, pass enough laws to keep everybody righteous. It, It just, there's too many warnings in the Bible against that for us to think that it's right. So there is, I, I believe that there is a historical model that, that when the church is in power, that power corrupts its, its heart, its values. Yeah. And we are facing that right now, that the church is a very large vocal um, voting block for lack of a better term, yeah. in America today. And that power, that inherent power that it has, will corrupt its heart. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we have to face that as a church. And those of us that are perceiving it and can foresee the danger of it, we have to then act differently and not try and seek that, but rather be known for the good that we can do through the name of the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I personally think, and people may not agree with me, but I think it does a lot more damage than it does good to try to enforce a way of life on people that don't want it. Yeah. Um, I, I told a story last week about a friend of mine getting an abortion who was on the fence. Well, unfortunately she got the abortion and called me up and she was telling me about the abortion clinic amongst other things I can go and do it. But, um, I found it interesting that she said that she was like, I, you know, it's driving me nuts. Cause there was just scripture verses and people picketing all over the place. And she told me on Fridays 
she was getting yelled at the whole way in, and she told me on Fridays that they have to have people escort. Like, there's, there's like, hired security there with guns mm-hmm. on Fridays. Because this is, she lives in the Bible Belt, Tulsa. And she was just saying, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and I was just, she didn't really, and that was about all she told me about it. And not to go into the right and wrongs in abortion, obviously I didn't want it, but I just thought, now her perception of God in that church or whoever was there, I had to explain to her that that's not, I don't agree with that. And I know people may not agree with me for not agreeing with that, but just seeing it firsthand, it did a lot more damage than it did good. You know, she's not going to be running to church because she got escorted in by a gun, you know, like a gun armament. And I just, that type of enforcing or that particular, that's where it heads. That's where I think, that's where absolute, or when religion takes over a country like you're saying or runs politics is then things get enforced and then that's the face of the church to somebody that doesn't believe you know what if just using that as an example you know outspoken spoken mouthy (laughs) mouth in the body of Christ Christians yelling and screaming at girls who are having to make the most horrendous decision in their life maybe with much angst but doing what they have to do in their hearts and minds because they don't know uh, people yelling at them what if instead Christians took the approach of hey you know what we we understand that you are this is really really hard and you know God loves you and we love you and you know what if they just took a different approach to it rather than yelling and screaming because you know that any young lady who has to go through that is going to have days and evenings and nights and in the middle of the night where they're going to be waking up thinking about it and and second-guessing, did I make the wrong choice, did I make the right choice, or dealing with the guilt or the shame of it or whatever. And they could actually use a comforting, loving, accepting, forgiving voice uh, in, in their life. But unfortunately, what they'll remember is someone shouting yes. in anger and hate. Yes. Yeah, and so that's going to be then what they perceive God's reaction to them will be: yeah. Yeah. anger and hate. Yeah, and no matter what sin you you do in your life, yeah. God loves and for, and yeah. can forgive and can redeem and and yeah. we've lost that. I, yeah. I, and John, I agree with you that 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 is wrong. Right. I agree with it because if we we should be known for our by our love for one another and the love that we have for other people and. No amount of screaming <clears throat> scripture verses in anger can ever be construed as love. Yeah. And, and I like, reject the people that try and justify it <laughs> yeah. as tough love or something. Because yeah. it's not. Yeah. It, it, that's, it's, it's ignorance masquerading. as Driven by their own sense of right. Yeah. And I think in that situation, not to keep harping on abortion, but we are, I, I always use the term during those... There's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And for a female, that's the foxhole. Yeah. That's where, that's a huge opportunity for someone in the kingdom to say, God still loves you as much as he did before you walked in here. You know, mm-hmm. God still loves you. Um, and I just, it, it, to me, it's like the opposite <laughs> of what should be done by a Christian. Yeah. Personally, like... I don't know. And I, that's just one, I mean, it's personal, so that's just one scenario. But there's plenty of scenarios. And I, the movie talks about <laughs> homosexuality and uh, in those type of, of situations. But you could pick from any situation. Anytime you're trying to enforce your, there's a difference between enforcing and showing love. And I think as a Christian, you need to prioritize. <laughs> there's also a difference between showing compassion and tolerating somebody's sin, right. too. Because that yeah. the flip side of it would be, well, we can't condone people's actions. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to condone to yeah. show compassion, yeah. to show mercy. Yeah. Now, Jesus didn't let people get away with the sins in their life. But he showed them compassion and gave them the charge, now go and sin no more. Yeah. You know, in response to it. and, and so, But the compassion... Came first before the the command to not yeah. you know to not continue to do that, 
And there's a lot of issues right now where the church is very vocal and it has to look itself in the mirror and say, is that still relevant? Yeah. For in another common example, we, we could argue all day long that biblically God hates divorce and we can, we can preach about it from the pulpit and we can challenge people to not let the church go down the road of having the same divorce rate as, as the secular world. And some people even say that divorce in the church is now more common than it is in the secular world, maybe because the secular world is not getting as mar- married as quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, and we could continue to stand on a pulpit and, and talk about the, the evil of divorce. And, and I agree that God hates divorce and it's not his plan. Here's the problem. Almost everybody I know is from a broken family yeah. or has experienced a divorce of their own or that their parents went through. Yeah. So all that that vocal um, haranguing does yeah. is drive home guilt over something mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. And I, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't see guilt as a good motivation for getting into the kingdom of God. Never, never. Yeah, and there are, but there are some that say that that's that's what we should be doing. We need to point out people's sins in order to drive them back to to righteousness. But I don't know that it's our job. I feel like it's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit to convict of sin, not not the church's job. Our job is to to love and and invite. And so, as a leader, we I have to choose to approach divorce differently, not because my standard has changed. Yeah. But because I want people that are divorced to feel comfortable to be able to come in and talk to me yeah. and know that they'll experience grace and compassion, not judgment. Yeah. Right. You know, that's a, yeah. it's a tricky thing to face because it's, it's like challenging some ideas that we hold very strongly in our life and choosing to have the moral courage to suppress that and not have to push it out onto other people. Right. Yeah. And to trust in God to be able to to work through those situations. Yeah. I think that uh, what we've turned that verse that God hates divorce, we've tried to use it to use guilt and manipulation and you know all that to bolster our sense of right uh, with people. And so we've turned it into God hates divorcees. You know, well, no, the reason He hates divorce is because of the hurt and the pain. It causes families, men and women hurt, and children, victims, and hurt because of divorce. The financial devastation of divorce. Uh, it just He hates it because of all that. It, he doesn't hate the people that are divorcing. Right. Yeah. But, but there's just people out there that have got this sense of, well, this is right. This is, this is right because this is what the Bible says, that God hates divorce. And it's just, again, one of those examples of people's sense of right isn't always truly and factually right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If we start defining our terms, we might find out that uh, we have all kinds of misconceptions about what God says in his word. You know, there is all the, the stuff we make up about yeah. what the word says. <laughs> you know? No way. kind of leads into the next part of the documentary church and state what would Jesus do Uh, I really liked and people won't like this uh, I thought Al Franken sounded really smart and I know he's super leftist and a lot of my uh, I know a lot of people don't like him um, but in his interview, he said an a interesting quote. Uh, he said, Re- religious liberty and Christian country are two different things. Uh, Al Franken responded by saying they're actual opposite. If somebody asked you your view on the relationship between church and state, how would you respond? I guess it's more of a question. But the quote is religious liberty and Christian country are two different things. Which I think is true. How could you, I mean it's how could you be a Christian country and have freedom of religion? Can the both two exist? 
I believe they can coexist, but I, but, but <laughs> my problem with that is, is the notion of a Christian country. See, and I just, I have a reservation about ever applying that label to, to a nation. Um, and I know that I've gotten in many discussions with, with people That's over that principle. Area. It's, it is, it's a, it's a touchy subject. Um, but I, I have reservations and they, they come from a couple different reasons. One, not all of the founding fathers were Christians. Many of them were deists and the language of the constitution and the language of the bill of rights and so on came from, came from the, just as much from those men as it did from the Christians that were there. And so, uh, we have to be careful about that principle that we were founded on Christian What's values because... Um, a deist is, is someone that believes in God, but tends to put a, a humanistic spin on it. They don't. They don't necessarily agree that Jesus was the Son of God. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, heresies begin with a misconception over the nature of Jesus Christ. And a deist is someone that would acknowledge God, but would support man's attempts to to reach God on his own. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, type of person that said, "Yeah, I believe in God," but has never really pursued a Bible or doesn't need to. Just believes in uh, higher power. And that's Benjamin it. Franklin, for example, the best known of of the deists, he came up with his own version of the the Bible. Yeah. Wait, no, I'm sorry, it was yeah. Thomas Jefferson, not Benjamin Franklin. And he wrote his own Bible. Thomas Jefferson. It's called the Jefferson Bible. He came up with his own version. He basically went through it with that's a pair of scissors. And cut out all the parts that he didn't like, uh, and and said uh, just the parts, just the parts that he agreed with, essentially. Hey, Christians have been doing that ever since. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's called. It's known as the Jefferson Bible, and it's really just a butchered, a butchered attempt at, at removing the tricky passages yeah. and the things that he didn't agree with personally or politically. Really, you know, pastors do that every Sunday. They just, just. Not all pastors, not you, Pastor Matt. <laughs> uh, other past, there's a lot of pastors that they only preach their favorite little passages and never, you know, go through the Bible and talk about the hard things. Anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. Anymore. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. so at that level, you, I, I just, I'm careful about labeling anything as, uh, labeling America as a Christian nation, yeah. Con- in conjunction with what I said earlier about how how whenever Christians become the majority in a country, it tends to not go very well because the church becomes more powerful than it's supposed to be. Let's put it this way. Jesus was a countercultural revolutionary who turned things on their heads and did not conform to the standards around him. So if we're called to be like Christ, then the church should not be the culture or the the dominant culture necessarily were called to be the countercultural movement, the ones that represent something different. <clears throat> yeah. That's a difficult thing to reconcile. But in addition to that as well, on top of that, I come from England and a hundred years ago, England had the exact same attitude that America has today, that it was a Christian nation founded on Christian principles, blessed by God because of it. And evidenced by its huge empire that was the largest geographic empire in history. And it destroyed the country because when the church aligned itself with the state, the state started doing things wrong and the church became implicated yeah. and supported its its actions in much the same way that the church in, the church in Germany in much the same way um, in the early 20s and 30s, did not do enough to stand against the Nazi party. And they became guilty by association as a result. And there's a few exceptions to that who who we remember. But as a whole, they're implicated in much the same way, unfortunately, that the Southern Baptist Church, when Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting for um, the civil rights movement and the Southern Baptists actively opposed everything that he did. And align themselves with the state and local governments that that enforce racist laws. It's a tragedy, but it, it happens. And I I choose to 
look at those lessons of history, and I don't want to repeat them. Yeah. I think it's helpful also to under, have a little bit of an understanding of the biblical view of government. There are there's like four different levels of government spoken of in the Bible, and they are self-government, the government of the family, uh, the government of the church, and the government of the state, or the civil government. And every single one of those are distinctly different. And there are places in our lives where they overlap, but they're never supposed to usurp one another. So in other words, when the apostles said, we must obey the laws of God rather than the laws of man, you know, they were saying, wait a second, your civil laws can only go so far in my life. Uh, you know, with the church government, there is elders and apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. There is a government in the church as well, but it never usurps or steps over the line into family government. You know, I mean, it's like pastors don't tell fathers how they, what they should do with their kids and their wives and stuff. That's up to the, you know, that's up to the fathers and mothers of the families to decide that. And my favorite is self-government. You know, if I govern myself according to the word of God, I'll never have a problem with civil authority or family authority or church authority because that's that first level, you know, where the Holy Spirit is is speaking to me. I govern, I govern myself. Yeah. And so I think it's... So when they talk about separation of church and state, I think it's... I think, you know, I think the idea is... There should be a separation. They shouldn't be commingled in the very same. It's like mixing water with oil. And uh, I think there is a place for it to be separated. And we need to make that distinction that the church does not set governmental policy and stuff. And I think that's where some of the hazy gray lines have created a lot of confusion in people's minds. And that's, wasn't, isn't that why I was putting the Constitution in the first place? Because... A freedom of religion. Well, I'm not an expert, but some people say it was to protect the church because the Puritans had come out of of religious persecution. And so some people say that that language, although the separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. It was actually a phrase coined maybe by Thomas Jefferson, I'm thinking, in a letter that he wrote to somebody that there should be a separation yeah. between church and state. I... I Maybe we should stop talking about this because yeah, we're bored yeah, we know that. into areas we know that, that we that. haven't researched. We just hear it talked about a lot. Yeah. yeah. Separation of church and state is the political and legal concept that government and religion should be separate and not interfere in each other's affairs. In the United States, separation of church and state is often identified with the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, which states that, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Right, but the phrase, the separation of church and state, comes from a letter that was written. It's not found in the Constitution itself. It just says that Congress should not pass, the Constitution says Congress should not pass a law governing the church. Um, so we have 501c3s, which are a convoluted part of that. <laughs> Uh, and maybe we should stop talking about it, but my... Here we go. But one more thing. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm going back in. I just, but I just... In my history knowledge, this is I, this is a dumbed-down version, which I feel like there should be circus music playing in the back of it. <laughs> maybe for the past five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Circus music playing in the back of it. America was started because of freedom of religion. They wanted to get, I mean, the pilgrims came over because they wanted to get free from religion and taxation. No, that was... Taxation came later. Yeah, it was later. But that was the initial, right? Because they wanted freedom of religion. The Puritans were looking for a place that they could express their own form of worship without hindrance from their, their religious authorities over. Right. So they made that dangerous voyage because they were being persecuted in Western Europe. Now, even, but they, 
And that's a part of our constitution, freedom of religion. I know the separation from church to state is hazy, but freedom of religion is a read, part of the... Read what it says in the First Amendment again. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Right. And see, your original question was, can a Christian country and, and freedom of religion coexist? Right. And, and the reason I began to go into whether we're a Christian country or not is because maybe it's the wrong question. Mm-hmm. And maybe, why do, mm-hmm. why do they, we even have to talk about that? Why is it an argument about whether we are, consider yeah. ourselves a Christian country or religiously free? Let's just go back to what the law says. The law of our country says that Congress will make no law about religion, right? Mm-hmm. Not Christianity. Right. But we're not imposing laws on any expression of religion. Yeah. And let's leave it at that. Yeah. Let's go back to how, why have we abandoned the gospel of love? Yeah. <laughs> And or, we, or we can keep talking about something we never really understand yeah. <laughs> and know anything about. <laughs> and we'll we'll render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a uh, verse that uh, I think kind of applies to you know why are we doing this? Who are we doing it for? And if the, if the idea is we want to come back to the gospel of love, we want to be hands and feet, not just a mouth. And we want to find opportunities to express the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to people around us. Because I, I know that's where our hearts are at. That's what we're about. That's, that's what our church is about. We, we want to be used by God. We've laid down our lives to love God and to love people. And we're looking for opportunities to do that. And, and the documentary that we've been speaking about is, is a call to action, I think, to the body of Christ. Of let's, let's move away from the rhetoric and all the arguing points and let's move back to loving people and accepting people and showing the uh, forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So I've been meditating in Ephesians 4 and 5. And Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. And we know that that is the call of God on every single one of our lives as Christians. We've been, there's a call of God upon our life because we weren't saved just for our own salvation. We were saved as part of a kingdom movement, part of of uh, the glory of the Lord covering uh, the earth like the waters cover the sea, and that he wants to reveal his glory throughout uh, the earth in time, in time and on earth. He wants to reveal his glory and his love. And I love it. It's, so he's talking about uh, living a life worthy of our calling, and then in verse 2 he says how to do it. He says, always be humble and gentle. Always be humble and gentle. You know, earlier we were talking about, uh, well, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? And I know that the, you know, the, the body of Christ or the bride of Christ in the earth today, it, it all has to do with relationships, you know, our relationship with God and our relationships with others. And so I'm always able to come back to what is my place finding my place in this in this world, oftentimes I find it based on my closest relationships. And because I'm married, and because that same symbolism is used uh, in, in, in the marriage relationship, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? Well, it's taken a long time because of my temperament and the way I'm wired. For years and years and years, I wanted to be right. But as I get older, I'm wanting to be happy. So, how do we do this? Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And I just think that if we used this as our model in society, the church 
would earn more of a right to speak into people's lives rather than trying to be right, uh, speaking out our sense of right on issues, if instead we took the tact to be humble and gentle before all people, expressing the love of Christ, being patient with people and loving people, I just think that we would accomplish much more for the kingdom of God rather than going on talk shows on Fox Network and all the different places and trying to be right. I think it's time for the church to, rather than trying to be right, to be loving, to be gentle, to be humble, yeah. to be kind. That is the message of that documentary, and I, I agree with that. Just stop talking and start doing what's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't matter who's in charge. Do what you know is right. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're, everyone agrees with your point of view or whether you can convince them. Just do what's right. Yeah. Just do what's right. Yeah. Let your reputation rest or fall upon how you live yeah. and what you choose to do with your time so that people's words aren't going to affect yeah. affect that. Because people are people. We all have the same, you know, we all, we're all wired the same way emotionally and, you know, all that. And I just know that I can spend all day long in my home arguing with my wife about some issue, or I could just totally drop the issue and go over and cuddle with her or hold her and express my love to her. And wow, happiness comes into the earth, you know? And it's like, what if the, what if the body of Christ was like that? You know? Yeah. Um, the documentary touched a bit on this, not too much, but talked about culture wars and I think we've been kind of talking about it already but I really liked in your email how you d d defined uh, the term Xmas and how it's root yeah, that's cool. isn't actually like people trying to X out Christ which was a big you know, debate over the last few years or 10-20 years over for a while <laughs> um I think people are coming around. But every holiday season, it seems that there's a, a imaginary fight going on between people saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays and you have to do this or you have to do that. And it's almost, and it's not as bad as it used to be in my circles. I don't really see it as much, but I used to, used to see it all over the place. Like, oh, don't say that or don't say this. Um... Do you think, well, do you think uh, there should be imp or rules or, I don't know how to put this, should there be governing of what is said? Does it offend you if somebody says Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas? I, I don't think it offends anybody, to be honest. I think that the reason why the argument is becoming less important is because even non-Christians are saying, just let Christmas be Christmas. It's always been Christmas. Don't worry about it. There is still a question, though, based upon the First Amendment. is Should you have the government expressing anything to do with Christmas? Is that, is that in some way endorsing one religion over another? I don't, I don't care about that argument anymore. Right. I'm just, I'm not, it's just too convoluted kind of for me. Too. I can't come up with a good answer. I don't, I don't know. So I'm just, I just don't care. I'm just going to celebrate Christmas. Here's one thing I dislike. The word holiday now has a bad connotation. Like somehow holiday is a bad word. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't write the word holiday in an email without somebody thinking that I don't believe in Christmas anymore. And I'm like, when did that happen? I love the word holiday. I love going on holiday. I love the holiday season. It has the word holy in it. <laughs> yeah, it means holy day. It's holy day, for God's <laughs> And sake. it became a bad word somehow. <laughs> that That's ridiculous to me. And but I, anyways. I think that was the point they're trying to make in the documentary with uh, how there's so many things in our culture that are have traces back to religion. And the example they used was city names. Yeah. But, you know, St. Peter's St. Paul. Yeah. St. Paul. And uh, there's all these different cities that have religious 
backgrounds in them. Um, and do we try and eradicate that? Right. Just accept it. Exactly. And I think it's culture is coming to the point where it's like, well, there's, they're there for a reason or, you know, if you take the fight, you can take the fight pretty far and it could get kind of convoluted and messy and yeah. So why go there? Right. I think that was kind of the point of the documentary of, or of the point of the cities and whatnot. Cause I mean, the ACLU in the documentary, they're saying ACLU says there should be no religious, especially in the government, there should be no religious what, what's expression, expression from the government. Yeah. But unfortunately, because like our public school system is government funded, the argument gets taken <coughs> into the schools. Yeah. It's messy. It is a yeah. messy thing. And so I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I just know I'm going to celebrate Christmas. I'll use the word Christmas without reservation. I'll use the word holiday without reservation. Usually the controversy comes because somebody has an agenda. What if we as Christians just took your approach, Matt, and just like, hey, whatever. That's not my agenda. You can go ahead and push your agenda as much as you want, but I don't really care. Love ya. <laughs> you know? Usually it's because there's an agenda and we yeah. rise up as Christians. Wait, that's not right according to the Bible. What if we just let it go? It's like, whatever, you know. Okay, so the gays have an agenda in Hollywood. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in movies and television shows and stuff. Or Christmas. Or Christians have an agenda in Hollywood. Yeah. And I like how so, they said Hollywood's agenda is money. <laughs> and in, had, in the documentary, yeah. It's almost like, like this, like, really? Hollywood's going to do what makes money. <laughs> yeah. And sensationalism <laughs> makes yeah. money. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That reminded me, uh, you know, the uh, that band that you sent me a link. I'm not going to say their name for the podcast sake, but... Uh, they had they have some Christmas carols out on a new little album and stuff. Oh yeah, and it's it's kind of cool sounding and stuff. And you know, most of them are all from a church, a certain church. And so I was drilling down into their stuff a little bit, and there was a video. They were being uh, interviewed by actually the pastor of one of the churches asking them about their new Christmas album, and their theme for their theme for the album was it's all about the Benjamins. <laughs> Did you see that? It's all about yeah, the Benjamins. It's like, all about the Benjamins. Oh, the $100 bills. It's all about making money. I thought, well, at least I appreciate their honesty. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all yeah. about the Benjamins. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Christmas is big business. Yeah. It is all about the Benjamins. Yeah. <laughs> and people profit off the culture wars, too. I mean, there's books yeah. that come out every week. That are are profiteering off of this perceived battle, and yeah, that's why I don't choose to engage in it too much. James, you asked what happens if if everybody were to take that attitude. I can tell you, you'd be accused of not caring. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be accused of not taking a stand or not, you know, not feeling things yeah. uh, strongly enough. Yeah, which I've experienced. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> Speaking like a recent situation. <laughs> But really, that's not the case. I just, yeah. my priorities, and I'll, I, this is what I say to everybody, my priorities are, are not to guarantee that America becomes a Christian nation. My priority is to see the kingdom of God revealed in people's lives. Yeah. And I believe that that is of a higher order of magnitude and importance yeah. than, any, than our culture, than our society. Yeah. And so I choose to, to aim towards something of that high level yeah. and not be confused as to what my priorities are. Yeah. And everybody has to fight that battle for themselves, but I just lay that out there as a driving force in my yeah. life. Yeah. That's I believe really the good. kingdom of God supersedes yeah. any political agenda. Yeah. Dr. Tony Campolo, Campolo, am I saying that? Campolo, right? yeah. Uh, had a quote. It says, the major problem of this culture is not the gay issue, it's not the abortion issue. As important as these are, the thing that's going to destroy evangelical Christianity in the next 25 years, and it will, is its willingness to be at home with co commercialism and with the consumerism of our society. Our kids are growing up as consumers, not as people who are committed to the, to the mission of God in the world. Dr. John Perkins agreed with this by saying, prosperity is the biggest part of our faith right now. Uh, do you agree with that? Amen. Preach it, brother. Yeah, I would. I would love to, like, maybe next week, really drill into that whole. Absolutely. Concept. I think. 
I think we can kind of address it right now in a few little things, but yeah. I'd like to really focus on that, especially here we are at the Christmas season, commercialism at its highest peak of the year. Yeah. 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 Yes. In a nutshell, I agree. Commercialism has been destroying, eroding the heart of the church for generations now in America. Yeah. And there's a lot of really tough issues that we have to look at. This is a call to all the dead and disappointed, the ones who feel like they are done. This is a word to all the ones who feel forgotten, and you are Rising like the sun on the horizon and 